Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Crush Cast. Today, it's time to go to school and we are gonna learn. We've got Tyson Sprick with us. Tyson, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Now, just to get everybody oriented, you're second generation. Third. Third generation. All right, let's walk through that. That's pretty rare. Okay. That does not happen often. Let's go back to generation one and then through your dad and then into you. Right. So um, in 1945, right after uh, World War II, my grandfather, who's actually my mother's father, started with the Equitable and, um, you know, started out, he was basically a life insurance salesman, all, all life, um, all commission. And um, he did that until uh, he retired in the, I believe, the mid 80s. But there in um, 1980, a couple months after my dad had married his daughter, uh, you know, my grandfather's yeah. daughter, his, his, uh, my dad's wife, my mom, um, he, he decided that, hey, if, if he was going to marry, uh, you know, if he's going to marry his daughter, he better have a, a son-in-law who can, you know, earn a living. Um, and so uh, he invited my father, so his son-in-law, into the business in 1980. Yeah. And um, my dad has been, you know, with Equitable and AXA, that Equitable, uh, for the last 41 years. That is awesome. Well, so when does it come to a discussion with you? Like, how did that come up? Was it something that you all, always thought of? Was it something that you resisted? What's your origin story? Yeah, sure. So um, I've always had an interest. I've always kind of been a numbers money guy. Um, you know, my family jokes. I was the I was the banker growing up. So we had we had um, uh, allowance, and you know, eventually as I got older, I had a paper route, and then um, some some lawns that I mowed. And uh, anytime anyone needed money, whether it was my older sister um, or even my dad, sometimes he needed you know a, a twenty to uh, go to the grocery store or something. He knew that I had a can of money. Um, in my in my bedroom, and I, I was the banker, so uh, you know, I I had always been kind of focused on um, saving and and have been uh, sort of fascinated by that. Um, so I, I I went to the University of Missouri uh, with the intent of um, graduating with a journalism degree and being a Sports Center anchor, and about yeah. halfway through, <laughs> halfway through, I I think that's a great career path, but I, I decided it wasn't for me. And, um, you know, meanwhile, my dad being with Equitable this entire time, um, I, I had, uh, had taken a couple personal finance classes and decided to shift and, and make that really my major going forward. So I graduated with a financial planning degree, actually, from the University of Missouri. And shortly after graduation, I sat for the CFP exam and uh, passed that uh, before my, my first contract day. So. Whoa, that's hard. You do not hear that ever. That's astounding. It, it's a great program. There's um, there's a lot of great programs around the country. I know Kansas State is is uh, here local. Um, Mizzou, uh, my alma mater, and there, there's a lot of great programs. But yeah, the, it you know it gives you um, not only the undergraduate degree, but the education requirements needed yeah. for the CFP exam. And so I knew it, I knew it by the book, quite literally by the book, but I had no, um, you know, no in the field experience. So yeah, even but though I passed, uh, even though I passed, you know, three months after graduation, they don't let you use the marks until you have three years of um, actual sure, experience sure. under your it belt. It had to so. give you confidence though. 
that, that had to help a ton that, you know, the education and knowledge leverage. So now let's fast forward a little bit. And now did you immediately go into a joint practice with your dad? Did that develop over time? How did that work? Yeah, yes and no. So um, I started in the fall of 2010. Um, and I started, my, my dad was adamant about me starting on the RBG route, which yep. um, is, is pretty uh, unique, I think, coming from, you know, an advisor who'd been in the company for 30 years with no RBG experience. I think he had seen the power of that, um, that program and platform. And I'm so glad that he sort of forced me into that. Um, yeah. You know, that starting point. So I, I started with, uh, with the RBG in 2010. And at the same time, my dad and a couple um, of his coworkers, who are now my, my colleagues here in the, the branch office, were beginning to form a producer group. And so I was able to sort of get in on the ground floor of that um, in those early years. So I, I dabbled, you know, a little bit of both. And then over time, you progressed and did more comprehensive planning. So a few weeks ago, I mentioned in the intro, you did a master's class and it was on 80-20 and it was the best presentation I've ever seen. People talk about 80-20 all the time, but they don't give the specifics. And your case was so specific. Can you walk us, and I think it was, what was the tagline? It was like grow with less or grow smaller. Growing smaller, right? right. Can, can you walk us through what you and your dad did and then the results that you had? What were the mechanics of it and what have you discovered? Got it. So um, when uh, I'll start with uh, 2010, when I entered the business, my dad, even though he'd been around for 30 years, his production that year was 85,000 PCs. Okay. Not okay. a bad year, but you know, you would sort of expect um, something more than that af after three decades, potentially. Um, after five years of working together and kind of figuring out this producer group um, and, and basically starting the business in a, a client accumulation mode, which is where we all start. Um, five years later, we had reached a, a joint level of about 250,000 PCs. Nice. That was in 2015. And, and uh, then within those couple of years, um, we had the advantage of um, the opportunity to uh, buy out a, a retiring agent's book of business and acquire um, some units that that really sort of lined up well with my RBG background. Um, they were not public schools, but they were uh, nonprofits with with TSA yep. units. Um, so that was that was a natural fit for us. Um, and then even even though we were thinking about growing smaller this entire time, um, we then had the opportunity to buy our our third partner's book, who had a, a very uh, a more concise book of business um, yep. at, at that point. However, by when we capped out, we were eventually at somewhere around 2,500 uh, client households. And that yep. was just a couple of years ago. And I think that follows the natural progression. Exactly. Our, our, our production kept growing. Um, our households kept growing. And that was great. But we soon realized that um, we didn't, we wanted to have a, a little bit of a more focused um, path. Yeah. And uh, we wanted to narrow our our focus on a specific, a select few clients that fit really what we enjoy doing most um, and serve them even better. But make sure that, you know, these clients that we had accumulated throughout the years and made these promises to uh, that we upheld that as well. 
And so you had 20, what was your initial approach? 2,500 clients. Did you initially approach this 80, 20? Did you do analysis? What was the first step? Yeah, I think the, the first step was just the realization, man, how are we going to deal with all this <laughs> service, yeah. right? We need, we need to do something. We need to systematize, streamline, um, something. And, and so it was about that time that, uh, Chris Noonan had introduced, um, the book traction to us, yeah. which I mentioned in, in the, uh, yeah, the conference Gino call is, Whitman. Yeah, that's right. Really, the the foundation for our practice and, and how we manage it um, now, um, and and so that began to give us kind of the the systems to build a foundation and kind of formalize and verbalize our ideas for the first time. Um, but then we also ran into about about that same time a book called Advisor Playbook. Yep, and um, I, I think that's really where the the this aha moment um, came up, and you know it. It, um, it talked about what kind of practice do you want to be? Um, you know, high high revenue and high clients, or uh, you know, a high level of clients, number of clients, or um, high revenue and a, a concentrated um, book of clients. Basically, basically going back to the average revenue by household. And the more valuable and in, in some ways meaningful um, books of business are really high average revenue per client. And so the, you know, the top end revenue was there or we were getting there, but we just had way too many clients to serve to, to maintain and grow that. At the end of your process, I know you used a variety of different mechanisms to transition, whether it was partial sale or it was handing them off to DSF or it going to advisor assist. But when you finished the first round of your 80-20, how many clients did you have left with your dad in the joint practice? And what were the results? Sure. So it, it was a little messier of a transi uh, transition than, yeah. um, than maybe it could have been or, or uh, it would seem from the outside. But the, we first dipped into uh, utilizing advisor assist. And yeah. that, was, that was a huge deal. Um, I, we were early adopters. And honestly, I think some kinks were worked out in the yeah. um, in the program after those first couple of years. And so then we we reinitiated, reengaged with Advisor Assist a couple of years ago for the second time. But that was really sort of um, a pretty obvious solution to you know maintaining the revenue, you know, kind of a baby step, right? Not not just eliminating clients from our book, um, but but maintaining those clients and the the revenue potentially associated with them but making sure that they're getting served as well and freeing up more of our time. Yeah. Um, in addition, you know, I, I think they call it the service release program now. Yes. There were honestly, yeah, there were some clients that just didn't really fit with where we were heading. Um, and so we, we utilized that to, you know, maintain some uh, level of service that the home office could provide, um, but not have to deal with that directly on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. And then finally, Jim, as you mentioned, um, you know, our, we have a, a local branch here and plenty of both young and experienced advisors who were willing to step up to the plate and either purchase or, you know, willingly accept um, clients uh, to, yes. to maintain and, and um, take care of. But you, you actually ended up with about 500 clients, right? You went through, I mean, it's going to be messy. I, I, I think it'd be 
anybody would not think that it would be clean going from 2,500 to 500. But at the end of this admittedly uh, learning process of transitioning, you ended up with 500 clients, but still grew, correct? Uh, right. It, at, at the beginning of this year, 2022, we got it down to about 200 client households. So we look wow. at it as households as opposed to individual yep. clients. But yep. Yep, we went from about 2,500 to 200 in you know, two years. And would it be fair to say, like, if you sum up the advantage that you've got closer relationships with the clients that you've retained, that you're having a higher impact on their lives, and it has created more freedom and more time for your personal life. Is that a fair summary of what's occurred? 100%. Yeah. I, and I think I said in the... Um the original presentation, but our, our goal. And I think what we've really started to do is make more work less, build more meaningful relationships with our clients and add true value, um, to, to them in their lives. And, and that's what we're doing. And it's very exciting. Well, congratulations. Let's say we have somebody that's listening to this and they're swamped and they have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 clients. What guidance would you give to them as a first step? That's a great question. Um, I think first, just to take a step back and acknowledge that you are in control of your, your business um, and that Equitable you know, can provide you um, a variety of routes to, to pursue. And it's up to you to decide, you know, what makes sense. I would say that, that for a lot of people, I think advisor assist would be a really good way um, in that case to kind of dip your feet into sort of delegating, offloading um, some of the work and, and some of the back and forth um, communication, you know, because even though you have maybe a thousand or thousands of clients, chances are, I mean, some of them may have been inherited, but I had been in their, you know, their dining room tables um, at 7.30 on a Wednesday evening. I, sure. I know who they are, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's this this part of you that even though maybe they, they're not the most, um, the highest revenue producing clients or, or the biggest or you haven't seen them in a while, you know who they are. And, and it's just kind of that first step of, of letting go. Um, and in the end, what, what we've found is that most likely they're going to be better served and, and we can have more freedom with our business too. That's exactly right. It's an everybody wins. When you hand off, whether it's service release or it's advisor assist or another advisor for that team, it will be a bigger priority. Um, I love the catchphrase, you are in control of your business. That's a great way to finish. Thanks for teaching us. Congratulations. Third generation is very cool. Tyson Sprick, thanks for your time today.